There we go. That better? How's everybody doing? All right. Great. It's interesting. You, you have a little bit of a change in the weather, a little change in the climate, a little rain, which is unusual for us this early in the year. But it just kind of perks you up a little bit, wakes you up a little bit. If you, you know, I, I grew up on a, on a farm and, uh, you know, you've got the spring rains, which helps to get the plant, the, the, the plants and, and the crops growing. And then the fall rain helps to finish off the crops and bring in the fruit and, and everything. So the rains, God uses the rain to bring the fruit and bring the harvest. Um, you know, uh, Shelley mentioned that uh, Hope had surgery this week. And so John and, and Hope are at home. She's recovering and he's helping her. Let's just, let's just pray for her. Uh, they, you know, we're going to get a report this Thursday, I believe, or Friday, the final report on, on uh, the test results. And so, Lord, we pray for Hope's quick recovery from the surgery. We pray that you would strengthen her. And, Lord, we continue to look forward to a great report from you. We just, that, that there would be no cancer there would be no spread of cancer, and that she would get a great report of total healing. And we give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Well, uh, the last few weeks we've been teaching on relationship. And uh, Mark taught on relationship with those around us. And then John spoke on forgiveness and the importance of us being in a place of forgiveness so that as we're in those relationships, we can be healthy uh, in those relationships. And today what I'd like to do is I really want to study, um, take a look at God's plan. God has a plan that starts at the beginning of the Bible and goes all the way through the end of the Bible to build relationships with each of us, with his people. And um, it's an amazing plan that he created. I mean, as you get into the detail of it, it's unbelievable. And, and, and a key component of the plan is actually uh, are the feasts of the Lord. And uh, so I wanna, one of the things I want to do today is we want to look at the feasts of the Lord and then we want to and what they are and, 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 and what the Lord's plan is in that. And then we also want to look at them in uh, today's current events and historically and some major things that have happened uh, in, in relationship to the feasts of the Lord. Because it really shows us this detailed and intricate plan that the Lord has created. He's, he's an amazing God. He's awesome. And, you know, he, uh, I look at the plan and, and as I was thinking about it, and I'm looking at all this and there's a lot of stuff. And we're going to go over a lot of information, but we're going to go at a very high level today just because of time. But as I've been studying this for months, there's so much detail in it. And it's like this amazing picture that if you cut this picture up, and you, you know, it's like a puzzle. You create a puzzle out of it. And as you start putting the pieces into place, you see God's plan coming together before your eyes. And it creates this amazing masterpiece. Um, it really just shows us his love. That's, I mean, it shows us how much he loves each of us. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. It builds my faith. It builds strength in me and peace. It encourages me as I study this. Uh, it, but it really just shows how focused he is on the details. He's a God of detail. 
and intricacy. I love it. Einstein has a quote, and you're probably all familiar with it. He says that God does not play dice with the universe. And he's talking about he's, God is not a God of randomness. He's a God of order. And you look at it, and that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be kind of following the fingerprints of God and the order that he has placed over the universe. And it's all for us because we're the apple of his eye. So today as we look at the feasts, I know some people would say, you know, the feasts are for Israel and for the Jewish people. They don't apply to me as a Christian. And, uh, you know, that's really just not true. In fact, they're not even called the feast of the Jews. You know, they're called the feast of the Lord. They're his feast. And so he set them up to be his feast for his people. And that's what we want to look at. We want to look in Psalms. We could look at that first verse in Psalms. And here we see that he says, Blessed and happy are the people who know the joyful sound of the feasts. They walk, O Lord, in the light of our and favor of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day, and in your righteousness they are exalted. See, the feasts were, de- were really originally developed to give God's people joy. He says, he says um, that you would know the, know the joyful sound of the feasts and that we could walk in his favor, be blessed and happy if you understand the feasts. Now, this is for the Lord's people, right? Okay, now at the time the feasts were given, that was the Jewish nation, that was Israel. But are you part of the Lord's people now? Let's look at the verses that show us that we really are. Here, let's look in Deuteronomy. Here's another thing where the Lord speaks so clearly about how important these feasts are. Three times a year, all of your men or people must appear before the Lord, must appear before the Lord, your God, at the place he chooses, at the festival of Passover, the festival of weeks, which is is Pentecost, and the festival of tabernacles. See, there were three times a year that the Lord wanted to meet with his people. And Josh said that prophetically here during worship, didn't he? As he was entering into worship, he said, hey, let's just go. God wants to meet with us today. Remember him saying that? That was a prophetic revelation that really just, to me it was, that just strengthened me that what we're talking about is what God wants to do. His whole thing with the feast was to create a mechanism an order where he would regularly meet with his people. He's saying three times a year. And so that's what we'll look at here. We'll see that God's plan from the beginning was to set up these divine appointments so that he could be building relationship with his people. In Genesis 1 it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the nights. Let them be for signs and for seasons or festivals. The word there, seasons, is really the word festivals. Let the, let the, the, the light in the sky, the day and the night be signs for the seasons and for the days and for the years. He gave us the sun, the moon, the stars, all, all upon the earth as signs. You know, um, signs are really a, what are signs for? Signs are created as a form of communication. Signs are, uh, you know, they give us understanding. One, one of the things that, I, you know, we see often and, and is really beautiful when you, when you see it. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. But when you see someone speaking in sign language. So a person that 
is hearing impaired or deaf is still able to communicate and hear and understand through the, the beauty of sign language. Signing communicates. You know, we see that as we're, as we're driving around every day in our cars, right? We've got signs, signs of warning, signs of direction, signs that tell us what to do. Stop. The sign of stop tells us, it gives us direction. You've got to stop here. Or there's a warning, you know, there's a big curve ahead, steep slope, slippery roads, warnings. Those signs are communicating. Well, that's what the Lord set up all these signs that we're going to be looking at today for. For signs of direction and warning and communication for each of us. Amen? Okay, so. Um, now, when he, when he put the signs in the sky, the sun, the moon, those signs helped us develop our calendars. And the Hebrew calendar or the biblical calendar was set up on the moon based on the lunar time cycle. That's why the, 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 the biblical calendar is a little bit different than our, our calendar that we use, which is based on the sun. So the, you know, the times, the dates are off a little bit and they change. But you can compare the two. And uh, we see here uh, in this next verse, when, Lord, when, the, when the Lord laid out the feast, the plan of the feasts for, for Israel, and he, and he spoke to Moses. And he said, uh, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, my appointed festivals, the anointed festivals, the convocation or rehearsal. That word convocation in in some verses, it says, these are my appointed festivals, which are a convocation for you, which really speaks to the whole word of rehearsal. And uh, it's like uh, it's like, you know, how many of you were ever a thespian? How many of you were ever in a play? Christmas play or another play of some sort. I'm, Kathy and I, uh, in high school, we were, we were in plays. In fact, we started our relationship in the play Showboat. We actually had a love scene in the play Showboat, and it never ended. Right? But you practice and you, you know, you practice your parts and you say your lines and, and you, you, you know, you map out where you're going to go and when you come on stage and all the things you do as a rehearsal for the time when you come in to the big stage and we always see the sets on this stage and you do the play. That's what the Lord calls the feasts. They are a rehearsal. And so he says, of the Lord, which you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You're not to do any work whenever, wherever you live. It's a Sabbath to me, says the Lord. We always think, well, it's a Sabbath for me to rest. No, it's a Sabbath to the Lord. And so we'll look at that here in a little more detail. Then, then in this verse, at, you know, after this, he starts to go in and, and get, goes into a lot of details on the feasts, explaining the feasts. But there's a couple things we can learn from this verse. First of all, the festival is an appointed day. It's a time of celebration. It's a party. It's a feast. Uh, we're supposed to, in another, it talks about to be in joy, to dance. It's also a holy day. It's a holy time. Um, Paul said in Colossians that the feasts are the sh- a shadow of things to come. The reality is found in Jesus Christ. Now think, there's a, that's a key verse. 
And I want you to be thinking about that as we work through this study this morning. Because he said that these feasts are a shadow of the things to come, which is really the picture of Jesus Christ. And that's what you'll see as we get into this in more depth. Second thing we, we learn in here talks about the Sabbath and what a Sabbath is. It talks about the seven weeks, seven days in a week, and the seventh day is the Sabbath. So it's, uh, it, it's always speaking about, um, the, the Sabbath is speaking about the fact that it's a holy day of rest in, with the Lord. It's a time when the Lord really wants us, and he wanted his people, to back off. From the things of the day and to focus on him. Focus on him. You know, we can get so caught up in the details of the day, the things that we have to do just to survive, right? I mean, here they were, they were, they had a tough survival. They're out there planting in a, in a place where the, 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 the earth's not real good and they're planting and they're harvesting and they're picking. But on the seventh day, we need to pull back from that and focus on him. And we, it's the same for us today. We've got a lot going on, and when, and when things lighten up, then we find our own distractions, don't we? In a hobby, or we start bringing, putting other things on our plate that we want to do, and we can get these distractions in the way of keeping us from our focus on the Lord. And so he's saying, take this day and use it as a time to focus on me. So that's what the Sabbath meant. Every feast had its Sabbath days, times to focus with him so he can build relationship. <clears throat> The feasts were also set aside as a divine appointment, a time to meet with the Lord, meet specifically with him. Now, think about that. that that's amazing. Have you, ever, have you ever had a meeting with a, a really famous or important person? You know, maybe a, maybe a king. Anybody ever met with a king or a governor or a senator? Or, you know, a famous, maybe a famous um, entertainer? CEO of a large company? Anybody relate? How about, what about when you were a kid? Oh, we got a hand over here. Okay. What about when you were a kid and you had to go in and meet with the principal? Anybody ever remember that? Oh, now the hands are going up. I can't even put my hands up enough. How'd you feel? You're going in to meet with the principal or this famous person. You know, there's all kinds of feelings that come on us, right? It's excitement, trepidation, fear, joy, maybe curiosity or concern, depending on the purpose of the meeting, nervousness. The creator of the universe, the God of gods, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, set aside specific times that he wants to meet with you. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. It's unbelievable. So, the feasts are for his people. He, sa- he tells us that they're his feast, but they're for his people. So he decides who he wants to inv- in, uh, invite to his party. He decides who are the guests we're going to be. Now, in the beginning, he said, these are the people I'm in covenant with, the Jewish nation. I'm in covenant with them. They're my people. That's who's invited to my feast. He's looking for that covenant relationship, and the Gentiles were not in covenant relationship yet. But the good news, and there is good news, is Jesus brought us into covenant relationship with him. Amen? We are in covenant relationship with the Lord. 
So we get invited. We're part, we're on the invitation list. Jesus put us on the guest list. Awesome. Paul said in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's either male nor female for you are all one in Jesus Christ. So we're all one in Jesus Christ. We moved into that place of covenant relationship with the Lord. And so now we're on the guest list for the feast. All right. So let's look at what these feasts are and what they mean to us now, because we're part of that. You know, there were three primary feasts. And uh, you can see here that there were, they were divided in, into two, two times, the spring feasts and the fall feasts. And within the, the three, they were in the first month, the third month, and the seventh month. The numbers in the Bible are amazing. See, this is another part of this detail of the Lord and the things he puts together. The, they're not random times. The first month, which was... Um, for the month of Passover signifies the Godhead, Godhead, the unity of God, the oneness of God. The third month, which was Pentecost, is really the perfection of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three. And then the seventh month, which is Tabernacles, is, it speaks about the, the time of perfection and completion, bringing, bringing something into completion and fullness. So this is really significant. We have these three feasts and the perspective that the whole thing about this, if you understand the perspective of this, because this is really, really neat. The Lord gave these feasts to Israel about 1,400 years before Jesus Christ. So they practiced them. They rehearsed them. They followed them for 1,400 years before Jesus came to earth. All right. Now let's look at let's look get into the details. So you have these three major feasts, but underneath them there's seven feasts in total. There's three in the first month and three in the seventh month. So that's seven. So it's it's really kind of a picture of the rainbow. The rainbow is three primary colors, but it's it, it blossoms out into seven colors, and that's what we see here in the feast. So the first one, Passover. Uh, this we all know this began when Israel was in Egypt, right? And when um, the Lord had to deal with Pharaoh, Pharaoh had, a, had a, a hard heart. And I'm going to move through these really quickly, and I'm just going to give you a real little bit of information about each, each feast because we don't have a lot of time. But there's so much more underneath it all as you dig into it. So God had wanted to deal with Pharaoh's hard heart, and so he put out a command and said, Go tell him I'm going to kill the firstborn of everybody in, in the land. But... He says, I want you to go tell, your, tell the Israelites to choose a lamb and to prepare that lamb for sacrifice. Kill it. Don't break any of the bones. Take the blood from the sacrifice and put it on your doorposts, right? And then stay inside. And when the, the death angel comes over, he's going to pass over all of those doors that have the sacrifice of the lamb on it. The next morning... You can walk through that door into safety. There's so much about this this feast. They talked about how they had to inspect the lamb to make sure it was without without blemish. Jesus came and they inspected Jesus. And he was found to be without sin, without blemish. They said, don't break a bone of of the lamb. 
We know that Jesus was on the cross and they didn't break a bone, which is very unusual. It's almost never happened. They always broke their legs. They would break the legs of of the, the Romans used crucifixion as the worst form of death. And they would put them on there and they wanted them to just suffer a long time. So they would break the bone, the bones of the legs, so they couldn't lift themselves up to breathe. Because they knew crucifixion would take up to three days that was about the average time it took for somebody to die. They said, don't break a bone. The Lord said, don't break a bone of the lamb. It was a picture of Jesus, and they didn't break a bone. And there's a lot more we could go into. <clears throat> then we move to the next feast, which is unleavened bread, which comes at the night of Passover. So in the, on the, in the Hebrew day, that night begins at, or the, the, the day begins at sunset. So at the end of Passover... Jesus dies at sunset. They take him to bury him. That's unleavened bread. For seven days, they were not to eat any yeast in their food leading up to this day. Yeast, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, speaks of sin. They were supposed to stay away from yeast, stay away from sin. Jesus tells us he was the bread of life. He was without sin. So they buried him on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was a miracle. I just told you that in crucifixion, they normally took three days for them to die. But in order for this feast to be fulfilled at this day and hour, Jesus had to die on the day of Passover, the first day within three hours of his crucifixion. Just another prophetic look at how the Lord set this plan up. Then the Feast of First Fruits comes. Now, the Feast of First Fruits, this was a time of celebration. This was the first harvest of the year. I mean, they, they just they celebrated it. It was a time of joy. I always get the picture, you know, when I think about a harvest coming in and the joy, you see these movies, uh, what was that? A Walk in the Clouds, that movie about the vineyards and the, the guy that met the girl in the vineyards. You know what movie I'm talking I mean, the joy, they're out there, they're bringing in the crop. That's a fall crop, but that's okay. You still get the idea. It's a harvest. They're bringing in the harvest in their joy and they're celebrating. That's what they were doing here at First Fruits. Comes three days after Passover. Jesus was buried for three days. This was the day that Jesus was resurrected. Time to celebrate. He was the first fruit of the kingdom. He came and said, the kingdom is at hand. I'm here. But he was the first fruit of the kingdom. He was resurrected. And so now that's what we celebrate when we celebrate Easter or the the resurrection day. These three feasts of Passover give us this amazing picture of Jesus and his ministry. And every one of the feasts and all of the details that we haven't even talked about were fulfilled at the exact day and time that the Lord had the Israelites practicing for 1,400 years.
It speaks about his re- the, our redemption. It's God's plan for our redemption. It speaks about Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, and our redemption. That's what this first feast is a picture of. Is that amazing? Hallelujah. Okay, so then we move to Pentecost. Pentecost happens 50 days later. Penta, the number 50. Another significant number. We'll learn more about in a minute. This is when the Lord poured out his spirit on his disciples. He sent his spirit to come into his disciples on the day of Pentecost. When they were filled with tongues of fire, tongues of fire came on them. They they started speaking in tongues. And when the church age was really developed. In fact, we look at this as the day um, when, when the Lord poured out his spirit on all people. Just as Joel prophesied. Joel said, I will pour my spirit out on all people, all flesh. And it really signifies that we've moved into the church age. And that's where we're at now. So from the day of Pentecost to where we are right now is the church age. And that's what we've been walking in. Can we go to the next slide? I should have, I'm sorry, I should have told you that. So this is showing us Passover, unleavened bread, and the resurrection. And then we come to Pentecost. Those were all historically fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Okay, now. We're in the church age from Pentecost on as we're coming to the fall holidays. We skip on the calendar. We skip the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth months. And we come to the seventh month. This is the time that we're in. The fourth, fifth, and sixth month is when the Lord is building his church. He's building us. We're the bride of Christ, right? He's building us to become the bride of Christ. And we're waiting on the fulfillment of these next feasts to come. So the feast that came, the feast of Passover, Jesus fulfilled, and we've already seen that historically. Now the feast of Tabernacle, we're looking at and we're waiting to come, but we can learn a lot as we look to those. Just as we saw here in Passover, let's look at what the fall feasts tell us. Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets is the first day of the Jewish New Year. It's Rosh Hashanah, and um, it's uh, this last this, in September. It was on 9:13, Sunday night and Monday of uh, September 13th. And this whole uh, feast, the word means make a loud noise. And so what? That's why they would come out and they would blow the shofar. Couldn't find a real shofar, so this is the best I could do. The shofar is to say, wake up. It's speaking to God's people. Wake up. Remember that the king, the, king, the Lord is the king over all of the earth. Trumpets were always associated in Israel with warnings and and gladness and assemblies and war. They used trumpets as a way to communicate to each other. And the trumpet call here is really speaking to the second feast of this group that we'll talk about in a minute, which is the Day of Atonement, which is seven days from Rosh Hashanah, from the first day, Feast of Trumpets. Get ready for Rosh Hashanah, or get ready for uh, the Atonement. 
Prepare yourself. Cleanse the sanctuary. So the people are preparing themselves from the Feast of Trumpets for seven days. They're cleansing the sanctuary. It also was a signal to the... The trumpet was also a signal to the workers that were out in the fields harvesting to come from the harvest to worship. Think about each of these as we're thinking about what this could mean for us as the church. It speaks to us that we need to be reminded, we need to be ready for the return of Jesus. We need to stay ready for the return of Jesus. You know, we're told to watch and be ready. It's also a prophetic look for the church of what we read about in 1 Thessalonians. The catching away, what we call the rapture. So that's the Feast of Trumpets. Now, seven days goes by, and we move to the Day of Atonement. This is the holiest day of the year. Yom Kippur. It's the one day out of the year that the high priest, Aaron, or his successors could walk into the Holy of Holies. It's the holiest day of the year. This year was on 923. On this day, they would take two goats. The high priest would take two goats that were brought to him. One was killed for the blood sacrifice that he would then take into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle on the mercy seat. The other one he would take and he would lay his hands and he would pray for the sin of Israel to go onto this goat and they would lead the goat out into the wilderness. The scapegoat. The blood sacrifice was made for Israel to make them holy. Jesus completed this sacrifice on the cross. We have a picture of what he did on the cross. He, made, he, he was our atonement. At Passover, he shed his blood for our atonement. The Feast of Atonement was also to cleanse and prepare the sanctuary. We are the sanctuary, right? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it speaks to us about cleansing. In other words, we have not arrived. What does Paul tell us? He tells us to, that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, doesn't he? We are all being transformed. So we can't just kick back and say we've arrived. We need to keep pressing in. That's why we need to keep meeting with our God. You know, recently John had a dream, and he shared it several times. And it was, he had a dream, it was when he was out of the book of Nehemiah, about building the wall. And his dream was for building the marriages in the house, right? And he was talking about building the marriages in the house. And then he had this very distinct smell of lemon, which is a cleansing agent. And I think that that word is really true for our house. And so we're in the middle of preparing for a marriage seminar and focusing on marriages and strengthening marriages. Kathy had a prophetic revelation that came from John's dream. Kathy really moves in high levels of the prophetic, for those of you that don't know her, those of you that do know her have seen it. She had a revelation that this word was not only for the marriages of the house, first in the natural, but also for the marriage for the bride of Christ in the spiritual. 
It was to strengthen and cleanse each of us as a part of the bride of Christ, as our place in the bride of Christ. That's good, isn't it? The Lord wants to strengthen and cleanse each of us to prepare the way for what he wants us to be in the bride of Christ. Okay, then we move to the third feast of this group, which is tabernacles. That happened this past Sunday night. You might remember there was a major event in the sky, a big blood moon, super moon. We'll talk about that in a minute. The, the whole thing with tabernacles, it's the joy, again. It's the joy of tabernacles. It's the most joyous feast. It's the final harvest. Seven, completion, fulfillment, the final harvest. It uh, coincided this last, uh, um, what they would do is they made temporary booths. Uh, they were told, make a temporary booth out of tree limbs and palms and branches, and they called them sukkos. And go live in those, those temporary booths for seven days. Celebrate for seven days as you gather the fruit of the harvest. This whole thing was to remind, and the Lord said it in Scripture. He said, this is to remind you that these are temp, you are in temporary dwellings of the time you were in temporary dwellings in the desert when they left Egypt and they were wandering in Egypt. They were in temporary dwellings. He said, this is to remind you of that. After you left Passover, just as as you are in temporary dwellings now, but you have eternal bodies and eternal dwellings to come. So it was a time to look back at Passover and think about what the Lord did and say, okay, now he's got us in a temporary place in the middle, but we're going to a future thing of permanence. It was also a picture of God's blessing for the nation of Israel. And we see that in Jesus, how he blessed us. And it, ta- it speaks about the messianic kingdom. When Israel and God will, will, when God will come and put Israel into a, a messianic kingdom to rule and reign with him for a thousand years through the millennium. So we look at this plan with, uh, and you can see how this is fulfilled for, for, for our church as part of the plan. It's really a prophetic look. Of the wedding feast of the Lamb. See, it's a, it's a prophetic look for us of our millennial reign with Jesus Christ. So we can look off and see that this, this whole feast is speaking to us about what the Lord wants to do for us in the, in the, in the future. So what God gave us through these feasts is amazing. He's saying, look. I want to have relationship with you. I want to meet with you at least three times a year. Then he said three times a year. Now it's now that he's taken the number off. We can meet with him all we want. He said, I want to give you divine encounters with me, is what the Lord was saying. He said, I want to, um, exp- he, he laid it out as a way to explain the plan of salvation for each of us. And he gave us that in the picture of Jesus Christ through Passover. And he said, then he said, I want to give you hope for the things that are to come. Isn't that an amazing picture? Isn't that great? Amen. Come on now, that's good stuff. Not because I'm saying it, but because it's God's plan for us. That's good stuff. All right. 
Now, there's, um, there's been a lot of talk recently about some of the current events that have been taking place. So I want to go through a couple of key things, a couple of key markers and key signs and key things, and then we'll put it in perspective historically with some dates of some things that have happened. Okay, first I want to talk about Sabbath for just a minute. So Sabbath, as we saw, was in all seven of the feasts, and we had the Sabbath of days. Six days, the seventh day is our Sabbath, okay? We, we kind of, we, that's something we're real common with. We walk through all the time. It was um, a time every week to spend focusing on the Lord. There's also a Sabbath of years. Now, some, some people may not be aware of that, but there's, there's a Sabbath of years where there are six years, and the seventh year is a Sabbath year. And that, there's been a lot of talk about that lately. It, it, that's the Shemitah. And Jonathan Kahn has been doing a lot of teaching on the Shemitah. Any of you heard any of that teaching? Okay. God's given Jonathan Kahn some amazing revelation on that. So that whole thing was the promise you work for six years. The sixth year, I'm going to give you a bumper crop so you can move into the seventh year where you can focus on me for a year and live off the sixth year. That's the Shemitah year. Rest in the land. No work. It was a time to cancel debts. It was a time for man to be humbled. When we come in the presence of the Lord, the whole purpose is just for us to be humbled. We can, maybe I'm the only one here, but I can get so puffed up in myself. You know, I can do something or accomplish something or, and I can just, my pride, pride just starts to grow up. Well, when we get in front of the Lord and spend our time meeting with him, he can just bring us back down to a place of balance and being humble, right? That's what this, that's what the Sabbath is for. Okay. Then after seven or after six Shemitahs, um, we move seven times seven, 49 years. We move into the year of Jubilee, the 50th year. You heard of the year of Jubilee? I'm sure many of you have. That's the 50th year. So seven Shemitahs, seven times seven, 49. The next year is the year of Jubilee. That's like a super Shemitah. That's what they call it. It's like a super year of rest. Uh, that's when your inheritance is returned to you. If you lost your inheritance... That's when the land is restored to you. If you lost your family's land, it gets restored to you. That's when slaves were set free. It's a time of renewal. The beginning of the year of Jubilee was on 9-13 of this month, September. We're in the year of Jubilee. Okay? Now, another thing we've been hearing about, we just saw last Sunday, was the blood moon. And what's, what's all of that talk about? That's one of those signs, and there are a number of them. But one of them, which is really pretty amazing, is um, here's a picture of a blood moon. This was an actual photo. That is not a touched-up photo of a blood moon over Jerusalem. It was not. It was, I think it was in uh, 99. I'm not sure. I can't remember. But a blood moon is when there's a total lunar eclipse. So the earth comes between the sun and the moon, total lunar eclipse, the sun's rays go around the earth, and that turns the moon red. Usually it's kind of a pale orange, if you've seen the previous ones. But this last one was like that color. It was dark because it was so close to us. Um, Now, when there are four consecutive full 
eclipses of the moon. So no, no other moon activity in between. So they're four consecutive. They call that a tetrad. Okay, that's what the tetrad of blood moons is. And NASA tracks these, and this data actually came from NASA. And I'll listen to these numbers. In the last 2,000 years, so since Jesus was on the earth, last 2,000 years, there have been 162 tetrads. Okay, so it's fairly common, 162 in 2,000 years. There have been eight of them that coincided with the biblical feasts. The eighth one is the one that we just had right now. So, seven previous to the one we're in. Happened on the Now think of that. Seven of, and on every one of those seven tetrads, there was a major event that took place for either the Jewish nation or as it relates to Christianity. Every one of those seven. We're in the eighth. We haven't seen anything yet. That's amazing. 100% of them. And here's another amazing fact. Three of the eight are going to take place in, the, in this last period of 67 years. So there's eight of them over 2,000 years. Three of them are in 67 years. All kind of just bunching together right now to where we are. I don't know what that means. But it's pretty interesting, isn't it? 38% of them are bunched up. Now, let's look at the 2014-2015, the one we just finished up. This is the, four, the tetrad that we just finished. So, in 2014, on Passover was the blood moon. On Tabernacles was the blood moon. Then this year, Passover, Tabernacles. Now remember, that's the first month of the feast, Passover. Tabernacles is the seventh. So it's on the first and the seventh. That's amazing. Now, something else that's even more amazing, this is the first time this has occurred in any of these, is there were two solar eclipses in the middle of it. And the dating of those is unbelievable. On the Hebrew calendar, they have two, they look at it two ways. One is the civil year, and it starts in the month of Nisan, which is March, approximately March. There was a full solar eclipse. On the sacred counting, that starts in September, like we just had. That was Rosh Hashanah, uh, Tishri, and there was a solar eclipse on the first day of Tishri. So on the two years within the Hebrew calendar, there, were two, there was a solar eclipse each, each day. Pardon? Secular and uh, civil and sac- uh, sacred. Yeah. Civil and sacred. Okay, so... That's an amazing picture, okay, of what we just walked through on this most recent tetrad. This last blood moon was also a supermoon, where it's closest to the earth, and that's why it was so big. I was a little disappointed, though, because when it was the full eclipse, it didn't look that big, right? And then when the, then when the, when the eclipse ended, then it was this great big bright white moon again. But amazing, amazing. This is the eighth. The one we just came through is the eighth tetrad. Eight's the number of new beginnings. So what does that mean? Are we moving into a new time, a new um, season, new beginnings? I don't know. We're not trying to set any dates here. We're not doing anything to set any dates, and you'll see as we come to the end. So we're coming to a close here. 
Some people, I wanted to, I wanted to address something because some people get concerned. They say, hey, you're looking at all of this stuff. Is this, you're getting involved in astrology? There's an, a different, there's a big difference between astrology and astronomy. Astronomy is the science, a natural science that deals with the study of the celestial objects. Astronomy is, we're looking at God's fingerprints. He created all of these planets, and it's all mathematically based. That's how we can, today with our computers, we can go back and we can look at how the stars and the planets were aligned up at the time of Jesus. At the, you know, we can go all the way back because it's all mathematical. That's astronomy. That's God's plan. Astrology is the devil's counterfeit. It's saying, oh, this, the stars control you. If you were born under this star or this group or whatever it is, you're controlled by it. See, that's control. That's the devil. That's, he just took what was good and, and turned it into to evil. So we're not looking at astrology. We're looking at astronomy, which is God's fingerprints. Now, I want to finish up quickly with some amazing things that have coincided on these dates. So here, let's look at this chart. So there, I, I didn't look at all of them just for time's sake. I told you there were seven previous tetrads. I've got Five of them listed here. You can see the dates on the left-hand column. I hope you can read it. Uh, we've got a, a, that first column is the event. It's kind of hard to see there with that replaced bulb thing, but that's event. <laughs> then you can see, did they have a tetrad? Was there a solar eclipse? Was it a Shemitah year? Was it a Jubilee year? And then we just look at each of these events and we see how did that all fit with, uh, with these major, major events. The first one was Jesus' ministry. Now, in Jesus' ministry, there were four. It was not a true tetrad because they were not full lunar eclipses, but there were four partial eclipses. Two in front of his ministry and two after his ministry. His ministry was right in the middle of these, of these lunar eclipses. But they weren't tetrad. They weren't full, full eclipses. They were partial. Um, there was a solar eclipse right in the middle. The day of his crucifixion. Remember, he's, he goes to the cross. He dies on the cross at three in the afternoon. And the earth goes dark. That's a solar eclipse. It was during his ministry, his three-year ministry, there was a Shemitah year that fell. And a year of Jubilee that fell right in the middle. If you'll remember, he came out and said, I'm, I am here to set the captives free, to bring the year of Jubilee. It was in the middle of his ministry. Okay, the second one, 1493-94. This was a date that uh, many people don't know a lot about, but this was really when a major persecution started on the Jewish nation worldwide. It started in Spain. They were, uh, it was, uh, it, it, they were, expelled from Spain. There were 200, over 200,000 Jews that were pushed out of Spain. And then from there, it started to move to other countries. Sicily did it. Portugal did it. And it just started, they started this mass persecution of the Jews, ex- expelling them. Columbus was in Spain in 1492. And what did he do in 1492? Sailed the ocean blue. And who paid for him to sail the ocean blue? It wasn't the king and queen. It was two Jewish people. It, we don't, we're not completely sure, but we believe Christopher Columbus was a believer. He had a strong relationship with these Jewish people. These two Jewish people funded him, and he left, and he found a new world where today there's about 38% of the Jewish nation 
of the Jews in the world are living in the United States. Now, what happened in that year? There, were, there was a tetrad during that time, and there was a Shemitah year. Okay, then we go to um, 1949. June, uh, January 25th, 49, Israel becomes a nation. First time they became a nation in 2,500 years. That was a Tetrad year and a Shemitah year. Okay, then, then um, 1967, Six-Day War. Jerusalem is restored to Israel. Tetrad year, Shemitah year. 100% of these Tetrads, biblically-based Tetrads, have had major events on them. These are the ones that we have seen. Now we come to this last one. This last one is we just had the tetrad that ended this last Sunday night. We have the two solar eclipses that we talked about. The Shemitah year ended uh, September 12th, I believe it was the date. And then September 13th, we moved into the year of Jubilee. So we have all of them across the bottom of this year compared to what took place when Jesus was there. What does that mean? I don't know, but I think we need to, you know, we're not, we're not saying that we know what it means, but I think we can say this. Jesus talked about birth pangs in Matthew 24. You will see birth pangs. I think we're seeing some birth pangs. We could start looking at other events that are going on worldwide. I think we're seeing some birth pangs. But here's what we do know. We do know that our Lord wants to have relationship with us, and so he created these times for us to meet with him. We do know that he created this elaborate plan to show us how much he loves us. And the feasts are part of this elaborate plan. We know he sent his son Jesus to be our perfect sacrifice, our perfect Passover. And he did all this so we can be with him for for eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's give him a, a praise offering. Amazing. would be greatly amiss if we didn't take a moment here and just see. I mean, we've laid out this plan, which is God's plan for each one of us. If there's anyone here who is not in that relationship with the Lord, or maybe you've fallen away from that relationship with the Lord and you want to re-strengthen it, he's laid out his picture for us here, and he's calling you. This was a call for you. This was not a coincidence that you heard this message today. It's a call for you. Is there anyone here? Let's just, I want to pray. Let's just, if you'd bow your heads with me in prayer. Lord, I pray for everyone that's here. I pray that we would, we would each really grab a hold of what you're speaking to us about. That you do want to meet with us. You do want us to fo- come into times where we focus on you where we put aside the, um, the distractions of the day and we come into a time of Sabbath rest with you. Jesus is our Sabbath rest, but you want us to bring that into a, a time of, of meeting and a divine appointment with you. I pray for each of us here that right now while we're praying, you will speak to us about how you would have us make a change in our life.
so that we can really set up our meeting schedule and appointment schedule with you. And for those of you who may not have that relationship with the Lord, we're going to give you a chance for that this morning. You have an opportunity to to meet him face to face this morning. Or maybe, like I say, maybe you've kind of fallen away and gotten involved in other stuff and you want to make a recommitment, a rededication. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray with you. You don't have to get out of your seat, but I would like to pray for you. Anyone here? You want to restore your relationship with the God who laid out this plan for you. Anyone? Okay, thank you for that hand. Anyone else? Say this prayer with me. I'd like to, I'd like to pray with, with, uh, with this lady right now. And let's say this prayer together. Lord Jesus... I thank you that you went to the cross for me. I repent from my sins. I repent from my from turning from you. And I want to make you the Lord and Savior of my life. You are my Passover lamb. And I make a commitment now to meet with you regularly, just as you've asked me to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. What I'd like to do now is we have an opportunity to uh, have some, to help with the Syrian refugee problem. And I'd like to have Stephanie come forward and uh, Shells. Shells in there. And I'll just turn this over to you. And you can go take the offering. Good morning, everyone. There's a scripture in Isaiah, which I love. Isaiah 46, 11. And it says, from the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. That which I have purposed, I will bring about. That which I have said, I will do. <laughs> I think we're seeing God is fulfilling his plan. And uh, we have a gal in our church who is being summoned. <laughs> and she uh, has an opportunity. She was uh, called last week or got an email from someone that she knows from YWAM. And they said, Shells, we um, can really use your gifts here among the Syrian refugees. And uh, she can go. And she wants to go. And God has been preparing her. And so we have a really a wonderful opportunity to um, help be a part of sending her. First, I'd like to hear from you, Shells. Um, what is the ministry that you are going to be working with? And what will you do? The ministry is uh, called King of, or King's Kids Education Center, and um, they are working with children um, up to 14 years old, as young as four, and their greatest need are the youngest children, children that 
have, for the most part, never experienced peace in their lives. And I will be helping educate them. I will be helping uh, provide for clothes and food, life skills that they haven't gotten while there's been incredible violence around them and fleeing, coming to, you know, doors that are closed for them to, to flee. And so they've finally been accepted into Lebanon and they need help. And so I will be doing that day in and out. And um, best of all is that it's okay to be a Christian in Lebanon. You know, everybody's very segregated, but I will be able to share the love of Jesus Christ with these children. And I think that's so powerful when their own religion has been doing horrible things. And so we can say Jesus is different. And they know Jesus. It's in the Quran. And so it's just saying this is who God really is. So So this is a wonderful opportunity that we have. This is, I think, a Kairos moment for the global church. Uh, the Syrian uh, refugee um, problem is uh, the greatest refugee crisis I read since World War II. And so we need the government organizations to do what they do. All of that is needed and good, but we have something that no one else has to offer because we know the condition of the human soul. We can offer hope, and Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so um, I think this is exciting that she gets to go, and I'd like to take responsibility for the people that she's going to be ministering to. I want a part of that. And can we say, Lord, (laughs) we're sending our girl. Those are ours. We want part of the fruit. So we'd like to take a love offering for shelves today. And, uh, you know, this morning I was thinking about uh, the disciples when they had to feed all the 5,000 or however many, 20,000 really. I said, Lord, how do we do it? What do we do? They gave what they had. Gave what they had. Offered it to the Lord. God blessed it. There was abundance. And out of his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. So God's blessed us. Let's bless Shells so she can bless for us. She can be the hands and feet of Jesus to those Syrian refugees. Okay? One more thing is that um, I, I really need more than anything prayer, and we need encouragement. These children have been very hurt, and a lot of times that's all they know. And so if you could please... Meet me on your way out and give me, if you would like to be um, be a part of this, give me your name and your email address, and I will be sending out updates. And if you have any verses, even just you are being prayed for, sometimes just gives us what we need to continue. So if you could please do that, that would be amazing. Thank you. This is all happening really quick. School starts. Shelby's going to be on the ground working October 25th. So, um, so the time is now. Okay, she needs to read. Okay, I think, yeah, she needs to raise ten to twelve thousand dollars. She needs to get a visa. She needs to get an airline ticket. And so, uh, if we can give sooner rather than later, that's great. If you can't give today, you can give online. Please designate your gift to Syrian Refugee Relief. Great. If the ushers would come forward, please. And uh, if everyone would stay seated till we collect the full uh, offering.
And uh, so we just want to pray over this offering. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity for shells to take the gospel to these people who have such a great need. Lord, we pray your blessing over this ministry. Uh, We pray that you would prepare the way for her safe journey and safe time of ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's receive this offering for her. And and then uh, when we finish receiving the offering, I will dismiss you. I also would like to open up the altar for prayer. We'd like to have our prayer teams come down. So um, after you've had a chance to uh, give your offering, prayer teams can come forward. And if you have any needs, uh, any physical needs, uh, any type of need at all, we'd like to pray with you. So we welcome you to come come forward for that. But we just really, um, really appreciate this church. We appreciate it's It's amazing. When we look at the offerings that we take in this house and the way that God uses you for these ministries around the world, it's it's really, really pretty incredible. So we appreciate your generosity. We appreciate the generosity of not only the money that you give, but so many of you giving are so much time. You're giving so much time in so many different ministries in the church. And uh, we just really appreciate that. Uh, it's, it's, it's such a pleasure to see a group of people like this that are so dedicated to the Lord and pressing into the things of God. So you guys are a real blessing. Let's continue to keep our, uh, our keep hope lifted up in prayer this week as we look forward to the final report, the final results from her tests. Uh, so let's continue to do that. So prayer teams come forward. Anyone that has a prayer need, please come forward.
exalted, the King is exalted on high. And I will praise Him, He is exalted, forever exalted, and I will. 